Good evening. If you've got your Bibles with me, I would like for you to open them up to the book of Colossians. And we will read verses 15 through 20. And before we do that, let me just open a word of prayer. All right, Heavenly Father, we do come with thanksgiving in our heart that we stand on ground that does not sink. And that you are our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you came and died for sinners such as us. We pray as your word goes forth tonight that it will go forth to glorify you, to encourage the believers, and to convict the non-believers of who you are, what you've done, and will do for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. I'm not going to do the whole passage. I'm just going to do one phrase at the end of verse 18 that I want to talk about tonight. Um, about giving Christ preeminence in everything. Let's hear God's word. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, excuse me, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As I mentioned, I want to focus on that phrase that, begin, that, that in Christ, everything should be preeminent with him. Various translations translate that uh, phrase a little bit differently. We just read it in the ESV, is that in everything he might be preeminent. In the New King James Version, it, in all things he may have the preeminence. And in the NIV, so then in everything he might have the supremacy. And then the Holman Christian Standard says, so that he might come to have first place in everything. What I want to do tonight is that indicate that every believer should be pursuing Christ's preeminence for all of life. Every believer should be pursuing preeminence for all Christ's preeminence for all of life. First of all, what is this preeminence that Christ should have? The dictionary gives us a word that, that means that paramount, paramount in rank, dignity, or importance. Synonyms would be outstanding or supreme. So that in brief, to give Christ the preeminence is to set up Christ above all things in the world, to choose Christ rather than anything, for every use and the purpose to make him and to apprehend him as being more able and sufficient for all of life, that he, that he is able for all of our lives. So the question I have for you, how then should we give him preeminence? Do we have a pattern or an example that we can follow? Should we look to Isaiah? Maybe Moses, maybe David. How about Peter or John or Paul? Well, there is an excellent pattern drawn for us in the Scriptures that we should do well to follow. 
Back in the 1950s and early 1960s, there was a TV show called Father Knows Best. Father Knows Best. This was a TV show that the producer wanted to highlight the role of dads in the family. It was already disappearing, and people were making fun of the fathers. Um, and so he's one of the, the dad who come across this in the show is reasonable, wisdom, loving, and fun. One of his teenage children was a son named Bud. He was going to have his first date, and he was spending money left and right for this first date. His father called him aside and said, I think you're not being very wise with your money. He didn't listen. He kept on spending. In fact, he spent more money than he actually had. And he had to humbly go to his father and ask for some money to cover his expenses. At the end of the show, the father recapped with the family how his son could have been better use of his money. And at the end of the show, the whole family would see as a dad walked away, father knows best. And our Heavenly Father knows best how to give preeminence to Jesus Christ. In general, therefore the preeminence we are to give Christ should follow after God the Father's example of His giving preeminence to His Son. So how does God the Father give preeminence to Jesus Christ? There are many examples that we could pull from from Scripture to, to highlight that. But I want to look at three tonight. First of all, the Father gives Christ preeminence by loving and delighting in Him. Secondly, the Father gives preeminence to Christ by making Him a sure foundation for us. And thirdly, the Father gives Christ preeminence by highly exalting Him. By loving and delighting in Him, by making Him a sure foundation, and by highly exalting Him. Well, let's consider the first point first. The Father gives preeminence to Christ by loving and delighting in Him. If we were to spend some time together, we would soon find out and learn what each that we are passionate about. We make it known by what we say, how we say it. Imagine you were able to run all your words spoken in the last month through a concordance software. It would put everything in, in order. How many times you spoke this various word? Alexa, tell me when I spoke about the last 10 words. What was my most 10 words that I spoke about in the last month? What were the 10 words that I was most passionate about? Now, consider this same exercise with God. What or who is God passionate about? When God speaks audibly from heaven in the New Testament, people took notice. And we should take note also. On multiple occasions, the thundering voice shreds the skies and declares, this is my beloved son. And then the second time he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. God is telling us that Christ is the delight of his heart. God is telling us that Christ is his delight. And this is just not a one-time deal. It's not as if Christ became the delight of God at the baptism or transfiguration. No, instead, Jesus is the eternal delight of the Father. Have you considered that He loved Christ before creation took place? There is nothing in the world the Father loves and delights in as He does in His Son, Jesus Christ. All of His created things take a third or fourth spot to that. 
Let's consider what he says in Proverbs 8, 27 to 31. And I'll read to you in just a minute. But I want you to note here that when wisdom is speaking about wisdom, wisdom is referring to Jesus Christ in the, in the Proverbs. In the Proverbs. Uh, and it's, that's generally understood by most scholars to be Christ alone. He alone can affirm what wisdom is, and, he can, and wisdom can be affirmed by none but Christ. Christ has all the wisdom that God has given him. Here it says in verse 27, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Notice that Christ was beside him and that he, Christ, was his Father's daily delight. His daily delight. Before creation, Christ was God the Father's eternal delight. From eternity past, there's never been a moment that God the Father did not delight in God the Son. He delighted in His Son before He created mankind. Then we also read in Isaiah 42.1, we read, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. God the Father delights in His Son. We're told in Psalm 37.4, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Taking delight in the Lord means that our hearts truly find peace and fulfillment in Him. Does that mean that we'll get all our desires of our heart, we'll get a new SUV some morning? No, it doesn't mean that. The idea behind this verse and others like it is that when we truly rejoice or delight in the eternal things of God, our desires begin to be parallel with His and we will never go unfulfilled. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things, including the necessities of life, will be given to you as well. Question for you. Who or what are you delighting in tonight? Are you daily delighted in Christ as the Father is doing and gives that example of doing for us? If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, what do you delight in? You can have true delight tonight by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If God the Father delights in Christ, should we not also delight in Him and thus give Him the preeminence that is due to Him? We've noted, first of all, that the Father gives preeminence to Christ by delighting daily in Him. And now we see our second point. Secondly, the men that the Father gives Christ preeminence by making Him a sure foundation for us. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-11 says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Then these beautiful words in Hebrews 1 to 3, 1 verse, chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God then gives to Christ's preeminence to be our sure foundation. The creature therefore robs Christ of his preeminence when Christ must not be the foundation to bear up all things. But other foundations shall be laid as if there were a firmer or secure bottom to bear up than Christ himself. Sometimes we make the foundations up. That's what they are. In Isaiah 28, 16, we read, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Then Peter adds these words to his list in 1 Peter 2, 4. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Christ, an elect precious stone, a living stone, mark what preeminence he has given to Christ to be such a kind of a foundation to hold up all things for us. To give a quick view of some of these things, first, he is a stone, the firmest foundation of the world for the security for that which is laid upon it to keep it from sinking. Give Christ this preeminence also in your minds and hearts. Friends, look unto him and consider him as a stone, an immovable rock, such a rock as you may sit down with this confidence that though, that though heaven and earth shake and come together, whatsoever is laid upon him shall never totter. He'll never go away. We see mountains caving in today, strong structures caving in. He is a tried stone, says the text. That is more than just barely a stone. Tried. He's thoroughly tested. He's been thoroughly tested through time. I want you to consider the limousine that the President Trump rides in ever so often. The doors alone on this beast, they call it, are eight inches thick and weigh as much as the doors of on a Boeing 757 aircraft. The windows are five inches thick and made of bulletproof glass. The tires are run flats to allow the beast to stay on the road if attacked. There is a steel plate underneath to protect it from the roadside bombs, and the gas tank is surrounded with foam and armor to prevent it from exploding. Finally, the beast is actually sealed from within to protect the president from chemical attacks. This car has been through every conceivable test, and it meets the highest standards. Christ is the tried stone. He was tried by the Father. He is tried by believers, and he's tried by his enemies. That is a stone with a witness tried by the Father. First, in the secret council, he found that nothing else in the world could withstand what he was going to accomplish in the plan of redemption, which was to be done. He was tried by him on the cross as the Lord has, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Isaiah 53, 6. And yet they could not make his back bend or break. Here he was tried. He was made him the object of all his eternal wrath for the sins all of his people have committed. 
The whole quiver, his pulls and arrows, pierced his heart. And yet he withstood it all. He was tried when God the Father turned his back on him on Calvary. Second, he was tried by believers, past, present, and future. They have put him to, him to the utmost, besetting sins, betrayals, desertions, habitual sins, our turning away from his grace, our little toe complaints, our lack of boldness, our lack of unity, our lack of dependence on him. And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? How we've tried our dear Lord. Think of all the sins that you've ever committed against him since you have been saved and became a believer. He withstood it. He was able to do that. He was tried. He is tried by his very enemies. Satan never led up in his temptations. He never led up in his temptations with Christ. Religious leaders sought to do things their way, setting up leaders to be worshipped, distorting his words, deceiving the elect, and in many other ways. Christ is a tried stone. Christ is not only a tried stone, but it says he's a precious tried stone. That is more, isn't it? The Father gives him this preeminence to be a precious stone. Think of all the precious stones in the Bibles. Gemstones, emeralds, diamonds, jasper, and others. Christ is precious to God. Nothing so delectable is what He does. He's precious to believers. Precious in respect to beauty. There's no beauty like His beauty. He has the beauty of all beauties. He is precious in the respect of His value. There's nothing worth comparable to Him. Not all the gold that has ever been mine can be mine today or can be mined in the future could redeem one soul. But His preciousness could redeem one soul. He is precious. But Christ has ransomed us because with His precious blood. And He has raised us up from the grave. We were dead. Peter saw the Lord's preciousness. And in his epistle, he speaks of five precious things about our Lord Jesus Christ. This precious stone, which is the Lord Himself. The precious blood of Christ. The precious promises that He's given. The precious faith that He's given to us. And the precious moving of our faith. Christ, as the living stone for God's building, not only possesses life, but also grows it in life. He is a sure foundation. And is more. Not only precious, but sure. So sure that whatever load that can be put on His back, He will neither stoop, nor bend, nor break. That's our foundation that we have. Christ has the preeminence given unto Him of the Father that although an infinite weight has been, was to be imposed, imposed upon Him, yet He will be able to bear it all. He takes all the weights of our burdens. He bears all of our concerns. Christ will bear the weight of all of them for all of us. For His back is broad enough to sustain all. The burden of your spirits the burden of your outward man, and along with all the burdens of the church as she goes through various trials and persecutions. And then we see finally, Christ is the sure foundation. Commit all your comforts unto Christ. He will uphold all your comforts, for He will renew them and enlarge them. Besides, Christ is an elect stone, singled out by God Himself for this very office in respect to His excellency, and his youthfulness to have the preeminence. What is the foundation that you're counting on today? 
if you're here without Christ, what are you counting on to avoid God's wrath? Are you dependent on supposedly your good works? Maybe you believe that you're not a bad person. Romans 3.23 says something different. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to him tonight if you don't know him. Come to him. Believer, have you drifted away from this sure foundation and you're given Christ the preeminence he deserves? Is it intermittent, half-hearted, or casual? How is your delight in his preeminence, your foundation that you have? As the Father gives Christ preeminence as being your sure foundation, so you should give Christ preeminence for his being your sure foundation. You need to give him preeminence because he is your foundation. Now we've seen so far that the Father has given Christ preeminence by delighting daily in him and making him our sure foundation. And now we come to our third and final point tonight. The Father gives Christ preeminence by highly exalting him. Paul writes in Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has already highly exalted him. He exalted Christ based on who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do. In musicals, there is much use of the crescendo where the music gets louder and louder at the climax or the ending of that musical. In Handel's Messiah, the climax, in my opinion, occurs not at the end, but near the middle of the cantata with the hallelujah chorus. God has highly exalted Christ, and we should too, based on who he is, what he's done, is doing, and what he will do. The work of redemption he has started in us, he will complete it when he returns again. I want us to recap some of the things that are spoken about Christ throughout the scriptures that exalt him. By, by our exalting Christ, we will indeed be given him the preeminence that he deserves. I'm going to be reading several verses. Uh, maybe it's altered just a little bit. Why don't you feel free to say amen as we work, work our way through this recap of God from God's word, how, what the God the Father says about his son. Who is the Son of God? Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has buried his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He, is despised. he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And as we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He will prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of, the, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and have salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a donkey. The work he has begun in you will be completely finished. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since it, he always lives, he always lives to make intercession for them. He is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of His glory, and the exact representation of His nature. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him for God. After He's spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom all he also made all things, made the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being. That has come into being. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. You have put all things in subjection under His feet. For in subjecting all things to Him, He left nothing that is not subject to Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He upholds all things by the word of His power. And though He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach when you were dead in your transgressions and in uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive with him in your with him having forgiven us all of our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consistent of the decrees against us which was hostile towards us he's taken it out of the way he have nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. For this reason, God highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Who is this Son of God? It is Jesus Christ our Lord. And we should give him preeminence. We should give him preeminence. Do you see the example that God gives us as to how we ought to give preeminence to Christ? How do you give preeminence to Christ? What are some of the difficulties you encounter in giving Christ preeminence? What encouragements can you give to others in helping them give more preeminence to Christ? How can we stimulate others to give in preeminence to Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, then I beseech you to hear Christ's words, what He says in John 3, that whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving preeminence to your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for being our example to how we can give preeminence to him. Teach us how to do that, that we will love more, we will proclaim Christ more, and that we will give preeminence to Jesus Christ in every aspect of our life, that he will be glorified, we will be sanctified, and unbelievers will be saved. We pray this in your name, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing, I know whom I believe.